Have you ever looked around at everyone on their phones on the subway in the morning and wondered, what is everyone reading about? Well, you can find out what billions of people are paying attention to online right now with Currents from Parsley. Go check out whether people are paying more attention to sports or to politics, what types of stories get more traffic from Facebook versus Flipboard, and which cities Google their news the most. Just visit parse.ly slash digiday now and sign up for your free account. It bears repeating, print is not dead. Go to any grocery store and you will see plenty of people grabbing new magazines on a spur of the moment. And that's the specialty of Bauer Media Group, the home of women's world and self. Bauer brags that it sells more copies on newsstands than Hearst and Condé Nast combined. I'm Brian Morrissey, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this episode, I speak to Stephen Kotak, CEO and president of Bauer Media Group USA. Stephen, who was CEO at The Wirecutter until its sale to The New York Times, talks about why Bauer decided to sell its teen and celebrity titles and make its bet on women's titles. Stephen also discusses growing a digital presence for a print publication, focusing squarely on readers, and much more. Hope you enjoy it. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. This is a long time coming because I've been stalking you for two years. You, you are not just a beautiful voice. You're a diligent man. So it's exactly. very impressive. So I want to talk to you about, about you know, going back two years because you were going from the wire cutter to, to Bauer. Explain that transition. Yeah. You know, uh, it's the second time in my career I've gone from digital to print, which people just find uh, confusing. But really, um, you know, my career is more about uh, anything that kind of engages a reader, you know, in Wirecutter, uh, kind of an amazing business that was all about, you know, serving uh, someone, helping them buy what they wanted to buy. You know, Bauer is really about uh, also reader revenue, helping helping them get what they want to get. You know, the cultures were as different as could be. You know, Wirecutter basically had no office and everyone just worked from home around the country. Uh, Bauer is located in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Uh, a town I had not heard of prior to uh, to starting. Um, but yeah, the transition was not as different as you'd think in terms of kind of a laser focus on, you know, getting a reader what he or she wants, helping them achieve what they want. Um, but culturally, obviously, mm-hmm. it was incredibly different. And the business models were incredibly different. So you were at, at Wirecutter um, when it was sold. So what, I mean, that was looked at as, as a win. I mean, I think a lot of journalists like, liked it because it was at least one of the co-founders was a journalist. So, uh, But explain what, you know, Wirecutter got right and that you saw there as, as the magic. Um, you know, what Wirecutter got right was really focusing on the user. You know, there's a lot of players in that space that people haven't heard of that, you know, take kind of shortcuts to make a cheap buck. Um, you know, not unlike in other media spaces where, you know, you, you go to a website and you see a lot of annoying stuff that you know isn't being done for you. It's being done for, for a third party who's paying money for it. Uh, Wirecutter was the same. You know, they were laser focused on uh, serving their reader. And that really stood out in kind of a wild west of this new revenue stream. You know, they, they or we would would recommend products that we made no money on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just because that was the best product or that was an area we thought people needed guidance, even if uh, there actually wasn't an affiliate revenue model for that. So, you know, I think that kind of laser focus comes from 
you know, uh, ownership that's brand minded and editor minded, you know, right. and and so that, that that was the secret sauce for them. And and the media world's always weird because yet you're serving two constituencies. I always think like it's so hard because you've got customers, you've got audience, and they have different needs. And a lot of times, um, you serve the customers before you serve the audience. Just by you know, they're the people paying you. Uh, that doesn't happen at Digiday, I know for a fact. I know but, that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a challenge. I, it's a challenge for any for-profit media company that doesn't have, and that's why everyone's trying to ha- have more direct revenue. You have a different form of direct revenue. Correct. Um, I mean, as a business person, it's one of the things that was so appealing to me about the media business, like having two revenue streams and balancing them. There's no just optimizing one revenue stream, you know, full on because you're going to just screw the other one. Um, so the balance is really kind of fascinating, but, you know, my orientation or what works for me is, is just the reader first. You know, there's great businesses that are advertiser first and make a ton of money and, and serve those advertising customers. I mean, my mentor, Felix Dennis, I worked for him from age 25 to 44. So I literally grew up, uh, with this kind of crazy person, but you know, he always said the reader is king. The advertiser is a lovely invited guest to whom we will give all hospitality, but but the reader is king. And and that that's just what works for me. You know, that's what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how the wire cutter operated and that's how Bauer operates, you know. So we're we're just laser focused on that and everything else has to work around it. Mm-hmm. So Bauer sells a lot of a lot of revenue comes from the actual newsstand. The actual these, newsstand. These things that, that once are... Once known as the newsstand, but now known as the actual <laughs> newsstand. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, so 75% of the company's total revenue, uh, the U.S. company's total revenue comes from the newsstand. And we sell... Uh, Women's World by itself, our, our flagship, and uh, is the best-selling magazine in the country on the newsstand. Uh, we double people a lot of weeks. And uh, Women's World sells more copies on the newsstand than Hearst or Condé Nast combined. Uh, and I fact-checked that yesterday because I'm okay, like, I'm going to say this on the podcast and uh, these guys have standards. Yeah. Well, uh, everyone gives me shit about people saying things on here. <laughs> no, that, but <laughs> so are th- unverifiable. I, I will give you the data um, uh, and I'll whatever. I'll, I'll wear a Condé Nast t-shirt for a day <laughs> or something if it's, if it's false. But yeah, in terms of, of copies sold, uh, we sell more copies in the newsstand. Now, you know, is that a strength or a weakness? Depends on... on how you approach it, but but that's kind of been the newsstand's not going anywhere in in your strategy. No, I mean, look, everything you can have a, a newsstand strategy, a subscription strategy, an ad strategy, a digital strategy. Either way, any of those ways, someone is some third party comes between you and your customer, your reader, whatever. Uh, you know, the 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 media properties that are ad supported are worrying about ad tech and agencies. You know. Uh, at, at Wirecutter and other places, it's it's the duopoly. You know, the people who are between you and your reader. All your traffic depends on Google or Facebook. Um, you know, for us, it's it's this retail supply chain that's really difficult. So, you know, we uh, being number one is great, but it's also kind of scary because uh, the retail supply chain isn't optimized for us. You know, um, but we don't we don't need the newsstands to survive or this giant thriving newsstand uh, economy to survive. It's really, you know, there's Women's World, there's First for Women, and there's People Magazine. And I'd argue, uh, I mean, numerically, nothing else stacks up. And our retailers are always going to sell those magazines for any foreseeable future because, uh, you know, we sell a million copies a month at Walmart alone. 
you know? Yeah. So, like, I'm like, you've got, you brought out some some of the magazines. We got Woman's World here. We got Vanna's Got a Secret. Van, Vanna White is on the cover. Uh, New Water Cure. Don't give away the secret. Uh, you're, you're I'm gonna, not going to give it gonna away. You've got to buy it. You've got to buy it. It's $1.99. But it, this is, it's an impulse purchase, right? I mean, you're, you're in line at Walmart and Abs- yeah. you see this and you're like, oh. It's actually, I think, part of the pleasure of it is the buying of it. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we're growing our subscription revenue pretty significantly, more because it wasn't a focus previously, but... Um, I think the the process of you know these are retail shoppers yeah. you know this is what they like to do, so yeah I think the process of buying it is part of the attraction. Okay. But like cashierless uh, stores and stuff coming, and I mean maybe we're looking too too far ahead, but the future would seem to be a lot a lot fewer opportunities in order to grab people's attention for these kind of impulse purchases. Oh, f- for for sure, for sure. I mean, I don't think that the total number of retail stores or supermarkets. Um, is going to be higher in 10 years than it is now. Um, so, yeah, that's clearly a concern. It's not uh, uh, it's not a boom time, you know, where where there's a gold rush. But, uh, you know, for us being number one, um, we're making a lot of money doing this. We have a loyal audience. Mm-hmm. We'll be back after this quick break. What you do with your time says something about what you value. Right now, hopefully you're valuing this podcast. Parsley, our sponsor, believes in a world that values attention and believes that data on how audiences spend their time across the web shouldn't be limited to a few of the world's largest tech firms. To support this effort, Parsley has released Currents, the Internet's first attention measurement platform. Currents lets you see what stories, topics, and categories audiences pay attention to. Sign up for Currents for free to explore the data yourself. Visit Parse dot ly slash digiday now and sign up for your free account now back to the episode so what is the then i mean two years ago you arrived you had a lot of teen magazines as well as uh the women's magazines celebrity magazines and you sold some of them yeah we you know we really looking at the celebrity category especially you know the dynamics of that business was such that really it made sense you know, someone, we didn't really decide to sell the celebrity titles. We kind of determined that there needed to be one owner of, of those titles that, you know, for the ad offering, for uh, editorial efficiencies. You mean uh, that space needed to consolidate? Yeah, that space needed to consolidate. Um, and, you know, the question was, did we want to invest in that space or somewhere else? Um, you know, those titles are kind of increasingly undifferentiated. If you look at the, the sales data, you know, Brad and Jen is the number one cover for every title, every time they run it. Uh, Still? (laughs) You know, which also says maybe you're not bringing a lot of new readers. You know, we weren't inventing. You know, the Royals was helpful, but, you know, if we're we're, we're a nice, well-funded company, but if we're going to make a big bet, we we determine the bet should be in women's service. You know, that's where we're number one. That's where we see a lot of stability and potential for growth in other areas. So, you know, there was another great publisher of celebrity titles who, who, you know, also... You know, knows their business very well, and uh, they they made. So that, that was position. AMI. So you sold uh, all of the celebrity stuff to AMI, correct? And then the teen. I was I was looking forward to talk talking about the teen. <laughs> we can talk that's, teen all that's the time. Why I was bugging you two years ago to come on and talk about the teen magazine. Oh man, that would have been fun. It's uh, the teen. I mean, the teen is is great because those you know it's it's kind of pure publishing. I mean, those readers love it, love it, love Still. the the ones who are reading it. But you know, it's 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 fewer. Um, but, uh, you know, again, we just didn't see that as a growth area for us. And so 
as a person who, you know, tends to stick around to places for a long time with a, an owner, global CEO who's younger than I am, you know, we're looking at like, what are the big bets, not what are kind of, mm-hmm. what can we fine tune to make Q7 numbers or whatever. You right. Know? So what are the big, I mean, the big bets are on, on like Women's World and these magazines. Explain what, why that's the sort of future strategy. I mean, everyone's, big... everyone comes on this podcast, they're talking digital this, digital Yeah, that. no, we're not going to talk. We can talk, we can talk as much digital as you want, but, um, uh, the, the, the print a day podcast wasn't, uh, <laughs> wasn't pursuing me as quickly. Um, you know, the big we have bets- a magazine, so just to be clear, I love <laughs> I magazines. saw it out there. Um, uh, that cover is not made to sell in the newsstand, though. It's, no, uh, it's a little a little spare. No. Um, you need some more points we're of gonna, entry. <laughs> we'll try this on yeah. uh, natural relief. Um, you, you can use Vanna has a secret if you want. Um, <laughs> the, the uh, you know, the big bets are more to come in acquisitions, you know, which we're looking for. Um but the first big bet was just around women's service generally. You know, that what do we want to be as a U.S. company? Um, globally, we do all sorts of stuff. We have, you know, I think we're the largest radio company in England and all this stuff. But, but in the U.S., women's service is what we're building around. And part of that is because for different types of revenue streams, that's something that you can build around. We were a newsstand company uh, with just different domain areas, celebrity and teen, women's. You know, we're becoming a women's service company with multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the celebrity space, there's not a lot you can build around that. You know, the celebrities are not really loving what you're writing about them. Um, you know, news is a tough business anyhow. It's an offshoot of the news business. Women's service is something, you know, things like these uh, commerce-type revenue streams and other things fit women's service a lot better. Mm-hmm. How are, where does digital play a role in the strategy? Uh, digital plays a big role, but we're really... Um, our, you know, as much as the company was kind of half celebrity and half women's, our digital business was kind of like 80 or 90% celebrity. It was very much built around our celebrity business. Even our women's sites, uh, because we have one CMS, you know, it, it posts the exact minute that we posted the pecan pie recipe, you know, um, which is not which is not really best practice. So we're we're really starting from scratch on the women's on the women's side on the digital side. Um, so that's kind of you know an investment area in 2019. Mm-hmm. But you're not in the sort of print is dead, print is dying kind of camp. You know, I, that question, it's like everyone wants to, you know, future print. You know, the, the print guys want you to be like, print, print. You know, uh, you know, I started my media career in digital. I started at a CD-ROM magazine. And then, um, which <laughs> amazingly pre-digital is... digital digital. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, <laughs> it was pre, like, Net, uh, Netscape Navigator. So we were like, we're going to do a back button so people can li- read the previous page. <laughs> Um, didn't patent it. The uh, and then you know you help- should try that. You know. <laughs> Purported to be the inventor of the back button. No, we're, uh, helped helped run a digital agency and and whatever. So, you know, uh, I'm a little agnostic again. Like my uh, my side isn't on a medium. It's like with the reader, you know. And again, that's not like an ethical thing. It's just where my skill set fits and my interest lies. So, as long as as there's print products that engage people, there'll be print products. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think the print business is going to double, uh, but you know, our readers are. This is they like this process. They like buying it uh, after a, a day of shopping. You know, that's mm-hmm. we're, we're not competing with something else the same way uh, the celebrity stuff is. You know, certain things we've changed over the years, like hairstyles, used to be a huge part of what we did. You know, that that's a Pinterest thing now. You know, but. You know, the other uh, inspirational stories, which is really, really big, real-life stories, 
you know, the cover uh, aggressive cell lines notwithstanding, you know, the, the brands themselves are much more about kind of compassion and inspiration. And, you know, that's stuff that they're getting from us that, that you know, you're not really Googling uh, compassionate mm-hmm. stories. So that package is something that's working for them. So, yeah, print is dead. Certainly, uh, the the print magazines that have closed are dead. But but again, we we don't have to save the whole industry. We right. just need to serve our readers. I want to take a quick break here to tell you about Digiday Live, our podcast that features the best sessions from our many summits around the world. For example, Digiday Live recently featured a talk from our publishing summit in Barcelona that was given by Jean-Christophe de Marta, the SVP of Global Advertising at the New York Times. He discussed how the Times is measuring emotional connections to its ads with something it calls Project Feels. Check out that and more of this podcast on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. Now back to the episode. Um, how about the age of your your customer? It's got to be getting a little bit north. You know, it's funny. That's another one that uh, I had a fact checked um, because I was surprised myself. You know, our readers, if you look at the women's mags, they're actually younger than, I mean, a couple years, but they're mm-hmm. slightly younger than the average, if you look at the other titles, um, you wouldn't guess it from kind of recent redesigns that are, you know, we're we're a millennial, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all, all the millennial millionaires with three homes to decorate uh, who try, you know, twenty different home beauty products, and uh, you know that that's an ad-driven thing, you know. But the reality is, if you look at the numbers, um, our people are slightly younger. But yeah, I mean, we we aim at a boomer audience. You know, everyone's reader is fifty-one or two or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you looking at new products that age down, or are you good with staying in the sort of baby boomer segment? Uh, in terms of print, you know, we're doing a lot of uh, bookazine SIPs, if you're familiar with those products. So, you know, those will be aimed at a, sm- at a smaller, uh, a younger audience, but, you know, I don't think we're going to launch... Explain the bookazine for... A bookazine, oh, sorry. Those um, <laughs> the, the... who are just bookazine curious listening. Exactly. Uh, so bookazines are kind of one-off publications. Uh, the best-selling one kind of in history is called Mindfulness. Uh, there's a lot around food that we do. So it's it's kind of a $10 to $15 product, um, sometimes branded as a brand extension, yeah. sometimes independently it's branded. It's like the royal wedding, that kind of thing? Yeah, no? sold in supermarkets, okay. you know, for sing, you know, so Mediterranean food or something, grill, mm-hmm. grill cooking. So we're doing a lot of those, you know, again, because we know our market and, and some of those will skew younger. But um, no, I mean, I, I don't know that print is where you're going to build a brand from scratch these days, as you did before. I mean, if you look at the big print successes, they're kind of brand extensions. You know, the, the Gaineses, um, Pioneer Women or something, you know, those are those mm-hmm. were brand extensions of essentially an influencer. Um, you know, not an independently created brand like a woman's world in a first. So, yeah, I don't think that's where we're going to grow. But So where's the growth going to come? Uh, acquisitions, you know, so... Some print, but really uh, in other areas, digital, transactional, events, stuff like that. Okay. So what are the big bets for 2019? Uh, well, we're, we're, I think we're uh, 94 days away from closing uh, our deal to sell uh, the celebrity stuff. So we're, we're kind of just working on it. But our, our big internal bet is really growing our digital for Women's World and First, uh, you know, and really changing how we approach it. Uh, what, why why do it with Women's World and First, and why not just do a new brand? Because I mean, it, it's successful on a on a newsstand, but maybe it, it maybe it's not meant to be a digital brand. No, and I, I think that's actually a great a great point. You know, I think that uh, a lot of uh, 
you know, there's always this question about overlap. I don't think it's the same audience necessarily. I mean, I do think these are strong, trusted brands. Um, but, you know, we, we may well launch something probably more vertical. I mean, I think in digital, you know, with the barriers to entry in print, you get more general interest type things. I think in digital, you can go more vertical. You know, if we launch, we want to get these right in digital, which which we're working on. But, you know, if we launch something, it probably wouldn't be, you know, some other general interest women's thing. It would be much more vertical on uh, an enthusiast passion. You know, so that would make sense. I don't think you're going to replicate a product successful in one medium in another unless, as we're doing, we have this incredible brand strength. Okay. What are some media companies out there that, that you observe? And I know it's hard because everyone's just focusing on their, on their own business, but that you're like, what they're doing is very interesting. You know, um, that's a really good question. Um, that what they're doing is really interesting. I mean, one of your frequent guests, Rafat, uh, you know, what he's doing at Skift, I mean, everything, you know, I'm not outspoken as he is, but when I'm kind of scanning Twitter and I kind of, you know, just see a tweet, I'm like, oh, right on. It's, it's like almost invariably him, you know? I mean, he's very focused on serving his audience. I think what they do is is very cool. It's B2B, totally different from us. Um, you know, what I what really impresses me are actually those direct-to-consumer, um, you know, Harry's shaving or yeah. whatever, you know, they have really built something again that just you know spotted uh talk about a crowded market you know there, there's no one who wasn't shaving you know i mean you maybe not you and i but but uh <laughs> two bearded guys talking two bearded guys made for radio and uh <laughs> but but you know it's not like they 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 grew by expanding the market right uh uh but you know they they found a, a real need and found a way to speak to people the mattress companies yeah. i mean so those Incredibly impressed me uh, because but they it, also they also saw a, sort of a scam in action with the, I mean every man hated the fact that you, you would have to pay that much for for a shaving cartridge um, yeah yeah well that's, that whole a, that's called a market opportunity no yeah. I know that's that that it, was it, but why did the DTC I mean because DTC is an interesting area we covered a lot uh, with Digiday and also with Glossy but why do you think media companies should really pay attention to what's going on in in this sector I mean I think media companies. And again, it's not for me to tell other folks how to run their businesses, but I think they got away from the reader. You know, I mean, we look in our space, someone redesigns, and we just know that's not making the reader happy. It's it's to create this idea of who their reader is. Um, I think that, you know, again, there's all different business models that can work for folks, but but I think people lose sight of the reader. I think a lot of media companies, you know, can be run by people who came from, you know, not not an editorial background and not a consumer marketing background and, and you know, lose sight of, of that aspect of it and, and, you know, try to pivot to more reader revenue, but but they're not really changing yeah. how they function. So those companies, you know, mm-hmm. going into an insanely crowded market with no brand recognition and, and building these nine-figure businesses, I mean, if you're not paying attention to that, as you know, they're essentially content producers mm-hmm. as well. You know, if you're not paying attention to that, I think you're really missing out. But it's also interesting to see how companies have to master consumer marketing where they didn't really have to before. They didn't really have to think about their themselves as a brand themselves. Um, like media companies, or yeah. I mean, they used to used to have to do that. You know, when when media companies were supported only by readers and advertising was a little add-on. Um, you know, that changed over time. Uh, and only in America, you know, in other markets, the, the ad market wasn't lucrative enough to make that shift. And so, um, 
you know, our model's much more European, where in, in other countries they're they're seventy five percent newsstand too, not just Bauer, other other companies. Um, you know, as the ad market got so lucrative, you know, adding a hundred thousand readers will stick to magazines. You know, with you know, uh, you could add uh, five million, ten million to the bottom line. Why not do it every year? You know, who cares how it happens? So, you know, magazine companies and media companies used to really have to do that and kind of got away from that. Mm-hmm. Do you see the the? I mean. We're coming to the end of this sort of VC-funded era of of media. I mean, v- media was never really made for for venture capital, probably, and in most cases, um, though there probably will be a couple of exceptions. Um, but, You're just saying that so the people still come on your podcast. Uh, no, but there's always exceptions to <laughs> yeah, the rule because yeah, everyone I'm, says, I'm "Oh well, what you know, BuzzFeed built a giant audience and and they're you know gonna make it work." Okay, fine. <laughs> but um, you know, we're seeing a lot of these companies. Um, hit a wall. Do you see that continuing in 2019? I mean, my view or bias or whatever, you know, I think media companies are best run by private individuals, you know, and I think uh, that's when they're most successful. I don't think public um, ownership is really the most successful model. I don't think VC is the most successful model because those are both built on on this constant growth. And, and uh, you know, I don't think, I think stewardship of, of something wonderful is like a better longer term model. So, so yeah, I, I think VCs are kind of finding that. I think, um, you know, the folks who took media companies public at various times, they themselves made money. I don't know that media companies were great uh, public investments, leaving things like the New York Times aside because it's a family-controlled company. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it ever made sense for media. I, I And not out of nostalgia, I just think out of efficacy. You know, you need someone with a vision. There's nothing easier in media than making you know, a little more of a quick buck in a certain quarter. You know, you just damage your brand a little more. You just make this compromise, uh, but it's not—it's not, it's not going to make your asset more valuable. And that's—that's that's the way an owner thinks. I again, Felix Dennis would be shouting at us uh, things I words. You know, you can't even say on this on this very edgy podcast. You know that you—you—you <laughs> you, you guys we don't will, want the explicit labels. <laughs> uh, you guys will be gone in a year or two. I have to own this. You know, blankety blank <laughs> for five or ten years. You know, and and really. You know, that's that's the mindset that works for media brands. You know, even TV shows, you know, they can jump jump the shark. They can bring in you know Ted McGinley in, in the last season or whatever, because they know they're going to go off the air and the network will survive. I mean, media brands, if you're really going to survive, you really have to invest in that. And I just don't know that VC or or public ownership is the way to do that. Right. Um, so if there's one resolution for the media industry 2019, g- give it to me. I mean, again, there's so many different business models. It's not for me. But I would say, you know, every business, you know, th- think about your reader. Don't think about them just as, whoa, just as this <laughs> thing uh, that you send. Uh, th- think about your reader. Don't think about them just as something that you serve on a plate to advertisers. But, you know, really, th- your consumer product, you know, and... I think people get away from that. And I'm sure anyone listening to this is thinking, uh, you know, we, we think about our reader all the time. I, I honestly think not enough. I don't think we think about our reader enough. So if there's any resolution, you know, not just how to get a little extra revenue off of them through some kind of side thing, but, you know, really a reader-focused uh, view on, on what you're doing. Uh, and then you can go back to your, your, your business model such as it is, but, but I really think it gets forgotten. Yeah. Okay. Stephen, thank you so much. My pleasure. Have you ever wondered what news stories people pay attention to around you? 
or if you're missing a top story of the day, Parsley just released Currents, the internet's first attention measurement platform. Currents lets you see what stories, topics, categories, audiences pay attention to. Sign up for Currents for free to explore the data yourself. Visit parse.ly slash digiday and sign up for your free account. And thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Sangal. Please do tell us what you think. Uh, tweet at me. I'm at bmorrissey on Twitter. Or email me with your feedback. It is bmorrissey at digiday.com. And a quick shout out to Rita, who tweeted uh, and recommended this podcast to a friend saying, Digiday podcast is fun, informative, and consistent. Thank you, Rita. Please head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get this podcast um, and give us a rating and leave a review. This helps people discover this podcast. Thanks again for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode.